Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Our speaker this morning, our brother Dave Dunlap, we've enjoyed in the past, committed to the work in 1993, 80, 80 what? 83, I had the three right, and uh, uh, serving the Lord with, along with the saints there at the Land of Lakes Bible Chapel, and we're happy to have him with us morning this morning, so we're going to turn the remainder of our Bible instruction time over to him. Brother Dave, please. <clears throat> Well, good morning to each and every one of you. It's my privilege to be here with you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak to you at this uh, instruction time. And um, in 1983, so it's, two, uh, it's 2023. So you do the math, that's 40 years. And uh, it doesn't seem that long uh, at all. But uh, it's good. It's been very many good years. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, again, good to be with you uh, this morning. I want to mention a, a thing or two about um, Kirk Mintner. I um, appreciate um, Billy sharing about him. Uh, you know, it was one of the big shocks of my life, and uh, I know the biggest shock of Kirk's life, to have a little bit of pain in the stomach area or the upper intestinal area, go into the doctor hospital and uh, thinking it's an ulcer or maybe a, some kind of problem with his digestive system and to find out you've got um, uh, pancreatic cancer, fourth stage, stage four, spread to the liver, spread to lymph nodes. It's not very good at all. And um, and he's uh, got, as we've said, he had three children uh, oldest is Jared, who's just had a baby and married, and you got Maddie, who's I think third year in college, and then you've got a freshman in high school, in Troy, and so just a very very difficult time, a tough time for Nicole, um, and the only bright side, and so we ask prayer for this, is that he's young, he's 51, doctors feel he's stronger, a little stronger to fight, stronger to really. Um, uh, maybe fight 
the cancer. Um, and so they're doing some chemo and they're hoping to extend his life. That's about all they can really promise to extend it a little bit. So it um, depends how he tolerates the, the chemo and how, how uh, the cancer responds to it. So we, uh, you can pray for him and pray that the chemo begins next week, goes home tomorrow. He's been in the hospital two weeks. He said, I think after four or five days, he met the deductible uh, <laughs> for his insurance <laughs> in a very quick, short period of time. But um, <clears throat> just really, just, just, you know, part of, um, I just want to just mention one thing, uh, part of pancreatic cancer, um, I don't know a lot about it, but it, you, you develop blood clots. Um, and they pulled out about 12 blood clots from his body. And uh, that was what was up here, his chest. Blood clots and large large blood clots. And um, so he's feeling better, and hopefully the, the chemo will really have an, a, a help. Well, we're in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I want to speak to you about what I think, and many people think, is one of the most important doctrines of the Bible. You know, it's... Um, it... Uh, we find it in 211 chapters of the New Testament. We find it in every book, I think, of the New Testament, but the book of Philemon. We find that this doctrine has been a stimulus to world evangelism, to missions. It is said in the 1920s that 80% of those on the mission field were on the mission field because they had a strong conviction about this doctrine. It was the stimulus to start many, many Bible colleges, maybe many Bible institutes, many mission agencies. Uh, it was a stimulus to Bible study and personal, uh, personal growth and personal revival in people's lives. And it was a forgotten doctrine. Uh, it was taught in the early church. It was taught strongly in the first century. And as time went on, uh, it began to be uh, forgotten and neglected, neglected and then forgotten, and forgotten for 1,800 years. And then in the middle or the beginning of the 1800s, there was a revival in this doctrine, and it began to revolutionize churches, and Christians, and believers throughout the world. And, um, and it had a tremendous effect. Some would say the effect of this doctrine uh, on the Christian world in the 1800s <coughs> from 1820 to about 1920 or 1950, uh, would rival the Reformation period and its effect and its transform, uh, transformation effect uh, on so many churches, believers of all denominations. It did not matter what denominational background you came from. Many of the early Bible teachers um, came from an Episcopal background, a Presbyterian background, uh, all kinds of mainline uh, church backgrounds. And this doctrine, uh, you know, went through all of these, uh, these areas. And so this doctrine is the doctrine of the rapture of the church. And I'm afraid that in our day, 2023, uh, many people know about the rapture of the church, I think. Many, many know the, the term, uh, but they don't know that much about it. And probably many Christians don't study as much as they, they should. 
and I think is something that's very, very, very important. So we're going to take a look at this, and um, we want to first of all uh, take a look um, at this chapter. But one of the first things I want to think about uh, 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 with you is the fact that the, the, the rapture of the church is imminent, and, uh, which means it is not just sudden, but it means it could happen at any moment. It will happen suddenly, but it, will, it could happy, happen at any moment. Now look with me at this, at this chapter or this portion that Lanny read. He said, I would have you not ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, those that are asleep, those who have, who have died prior that are believers in the Lord Jesus, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For we believe, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he says, even so them also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. When he comes back again, he'll bring them with him. And then he says this, we send to you by the word of the Lord with the absolute guarantee and assurance by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Uh, Nathan Campbell, who some of you know, um, uh, uh, doesn't live too far from where I live, and we were doing some door-to-door evangelism. And uh, we knocked on a particular door. I wasn't actually there when it happened, knocked on a particular door. There's a man named Jack there. He is current military, retired now. And uh, right on the doorstep, this doesn't happen too often, but right on the doorstep and going knocking on door-to-door, not ever meeting him ever before, uh, a couple of young people led him to trust Christ and pray with them. And uh, right at that moment, knocking on the door, witnessing to him. And um, Nathan, who lives right around the corner from this gentleman, you could walk, you, you can walk to the house. And, uh, <clears throat> and so they saw some of the, he saw some of the, he was outside in the front yard and saw some of the believers and said, what, you know, what are you guys doing here? Why are you in my neighborhood? <laughs> and um, explained the situation with him. And so we had been having Bible studies with him. And we're going through John's gospel, starting from chapter one. And Thursday morning, uh, th- Thursday at lunchtime, he, uh, he works from home. Uh, most of the time on Thursdays he does. And so we have, we have lunch Bible study together. And uh, so we're going through John's gospel, and we come to chapter 14. Uh, and we read, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it was not so, I've told you. If I go away, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So I had a tremendous conversation with him about the truth that he was not aware of, and probably many uh, maybe unbelievers, but here's a man that comes to faith in the Lord Jesus and to say, you know, you know the first coming. You know there's, there's uh, 100 references to the first coming of the Lord Jesus. There's 33 prophecies about in, his, in the Old Testament of his death on the cross of Calvary. But there's 500 references in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus coming back again. And coming and ruling and reigning and reigning 
upon the earth from out of Jerusalem, the place and the place where he was ridiculed, and the place where he was mocked, and the place that he was crucified, and the place he was rejected is the place he will come again and rule and reign for a thousand years, but he'll come back again. And I said, the New Testament speaks a hundred times about his first coming, and everybody believes in his first coming. There's no one who doubts the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And they look at some of the prophecies, how they, how they, were, filled, how they were fulfilled perfectly in his first coming, and we have 500 prophecies about his second coming, and we have many New Testament, 212 chapters uh, in the New Testament, every book of the, the New Testament, speaking about his coming again, and the rapture of the church, and this was a tremendous uh, revelation to him. The Lord is coming, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And not only coming again to rule and reign, but he's coming again, as we see in this chapter, to catch us up, to take us up and to meet him in the air. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see passage after passage in the New Testament about this. But one of the great things we see, well, we see the authority of it. I say to you by the word of the Lord, and then he says this in verse 15, this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord Jesus shall not precede them or asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend with the, with, the, with, the, with the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And those who are dead in Christ shall rise first. We have this phrase and a very important phrase, in Christ. We don't see that, we don't see that reference. We don't see that in the Old Testament. Uh, but we see it all through the New Testament. A favorite phrase of the Apostle Paul, in Christ. And the word in Christ means those who are part of the church. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 of Acts, until the rapture, until the, uh, the rapture of the church, 2,000, whatever years it will be, until the Lord comes back again. That's the church. Those are those who are in the church. The church was not in the Old Testament. You've got Israel, the Gentiles, and the church of God. It's a very unique uh, revelation, a unique part of God's, of God's truth is that those who are in Christ are those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in the church age, those who know the Lord Jesus and in him. And so we see that here. Very important. The Lord shall descend from heaven, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are in Christ and who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The moment we come, the moment the Lord Jesus raptures the church, we will ever be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. We will never be out of his presence for all eternity. So shall we ever be with the Lord. What a tremendous truth. Lenny was speaking about that a little bit. Uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, we'll ever be with the Lord. And what a tremendous truth that is. But one of the great truths we have is that it is an imminent return of the Lord. It can happen at any moment. We see that over and over and over again in Scripture. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John's 
the letter of 1 John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because we knew him not. So a little side note, we had a baptism last Saturday. And uh, I think earlier in the year, uh, I think Billy was with us to give a, a word. I think it was either earlier this year or last, last year. But one of the young ladies, uh, a girl that's 13 years old, we always, always ask, what's your favorite verse? And a little bit of your testimony. And this was her favorite verse. I thought it was very special. What manner of love has a father bestowed upon us? But then it says this, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. Now here's the important part. We know, not if he appears, but when he appears. When he appears, uh, he says, we shall appear with him, and we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. We know that when he shall appear, we should be like him. There's no doubt in the the first century, uh, Paul speaks about the early church would have a greeting that they would greet each other with, and it was this, Maranatha. Now, when I was a young person, there were many churches, many Baptist churches in our town called Maranatha Baptist Church. And there was a great emphasis on the coming of the Lord. And Maranatha means the Lord cometh soon. And that's what the early church talked about. And we see that over and over again. We see in Philippians chapter 3, it says that when the Lord comes, he will change this vile body to be like his glorious body. And it says, and we eagerly look for him. He will come from heaven. We look to heaven for him. We eagerly look to heaven for the Lord Jesus Christ who will come, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. There's this eager looking in the first century. New Testament believers were eagerly looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. In Titus chapter 2, it says, looking for the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over again, we have this New Testament church, New Testament believers, whether it be Paul or Peter or John, looking for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus, the coming in their own lifetime. They believed the Lord would come in their own lifetime. In this passage we have open before us, he says this in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then it says this in verse 17, And we, and we, he doesn't say those who are alive, you could say those who are alive will be caught up together in 100 years or 200 years or 500 years. He says, we who are alive. He expected the rapture to be take place in his own lifetime. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever. So shall we ever be with the Lord. They expected it in their lifetime for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to take place. It was an imminent return. They didn't know when it would take place, how it would take, they knew how it would take place, they didn't know when, but they believed it would take place in their lifetime. 
the Lord would come back, and he would come back soon. And they believed in what's called the imminent return at any moment. There was no preceding events that had to take place. There's no sign that had to take place. No preceding events. The Lord could come at any time. So I use the, the illustration of the San Andreas Fault in California. Sometime, we don't know when, there's going to be some earthquake, some earthquake as a result of the San Andreas Fault. We don't know when, but we're certain it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we're certain it is going to happen. There's an illustration given of a man who was a gardener of a great estate in England, and a man came and wanted to speak to the owner. And so he asked the gardener, he says, is the owner of the estate here? He said, no, he's not here. He said, well, when can I talk to him? And the gardener said, I don't know when he's going to come back, but he always comes back. I can't tell you when he's going to come back. I can't tell you uh, how long you're going to have to wait, but he always comes back. And that's how it is with the return of the Lord Jesus. But the question is asked, and I know you're thinking of this exact question, is if the return was imminent, and if that's the, if that's the teaching the Lord gave, that's the teaching the uh, Apostle Paul gave, and Peter gave, and John gave, and writers of the New Testament gave, and the Lord Jesus did not come in that, in that time period. He didn't come uh, in their expectation of in their own lifetime or the next hundred years, or the next hundred years after that, or the next thousand years, and it hasn't come yet. What do we make of this doctrine? Can we still believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus if, he hasn't, if his return wasn't imminent as they expected it? It's still imminent. Imminent means it could come at any time. But I want you to turn with me what the answer to that question is. The answer to that question, and that's in 2 Peter chapter 3. People of that day, and 2 Peter is one of the latter uh, penned epistles in the New Testament. So there were people of that day who began to say, began to scoff, and they begin to say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise? Verse 4. Well, look at, look at verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, skeptics, deniers of the word of God, deniers of the promises and the teachings and the Principles of the word of God. And then it says this, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. There's no change. We don't see God in this world. We don't see the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Where is the promise of his coming? It says there, there uh, in verse 5, they are willingly ignorant you know, that's a very true story. Willingly ignorant of Scripture and the promise of the Scripture. Sometimes you talk to people about the Lord. They don't want to hear what you have to say. 
They want to remain ignorant. They want to know as little as they can, and they want to be convinced of their own facts, their own information, their own sources of information. They don't want to know what you know. They don't want to know. They want to be willingly ignorant of Scripture, of teachings of Scripture. They go on to say, remember when those in the days of Noah when they say, oh, it's not going to rain, there's, no going to be, there's not going to be a judgment, there's not going to be a flood, and they all perished. But then it goes on a little bit further. Look at verse 8. What about this question of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus? What about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus? Why hasn't he come? If someone comes to you and says, you believe in the rapture of the church? And they say, why hasn't the Lord come yet? What would you say? I think you can say what we find here in this passage. But beloved, verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is with the Lord. When you think of the imminent return of the Lord, don't think in terms of your, your, your clock your time, our earthly understanding of time. Put, put that, God has his own time clock. I love the illustration I saw one time of a man, uh, he had this long rope, and the rope, big rope, and it was all curled up right in front of him, and then it went out through the church, really large church, out the back door, into the park lot, out two, 300 feet rope, kept on going out and he had, and then he had the front part of the rope that had some tape on it, black tape, about that much. He says, this is your life. This is eternity. This is God's time clock. Don't think of what you're thinking in terms of your understanding of time. God has his own clock. But then it says this in this passage, verse nine. People say, where's the Lord? He's slow in his coming. He's slow in his fulfillment of his promise that he would come again. Verse 9, the Lord, I love this. The Lord is not slack, that's King James. Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Where is the promise of his coming? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's going to come right on time. Be there, and don't worry about when he's going to come. And he says, why then? Why? And he says, the reason, excuse me, the reason why he hasn't come yet, and he's still on time. He says, the Lord is long-suffering, that's why. He's long-suffering. And another reason, he is not willing that any should perish. Why is he waiting? Why didn't he come in? Why didn't he come in 1971 when I was saved in 1975? I don't know what year you were saved. But why did he come before you were saved? Because he's long-suffering. Why didn't he come when someone was saved? We had four people baptized this past Saturday. Why didn't they come before they were saved? And they were alive because he's long-suffering and doesn't want any to perish. 
So if someone asks you, where is the coming? Where is the Lord's return? Say, the Lord is waiting for you. <laughs> he is waiting for me. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is kind. So you can, so I could have gotten saved and participate in that blessing. And you can get saved and participate in that blessing. And he says here, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We'll look at one more thing. And our time is almost finished here. I want to look at something else. The rapture of the Lord is imminent. The rapture of the Lord is for believers. The rapture of the Lord is also pre-tribulational. And I want to look at something with you. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. The rapture of the Lord is before the tribulation period. And there are some tremendous words that we should understand and have a clear understanding about them. One, one phrase we looked at already, and that's in Christ. Another term is the tribulation. Another term we read, not in chapter 6, but the great tribulation and the day of the Lord. These are some great terms we need to know to understand the Bible. We need to know also what the word saint means. Sometimes there's tribulation saints, and sometimes there's New Testament saints. And we need to distinguish between certain things in Scripture to understand them. In chapter 6, we have the beginning of the tribulation period. And what's so interesting as you go through the book of Revelation, you don't find the church on earth from chapter 6 to chapter 19. You don't find the church on earth. You find the church mentioned, but you don't find it on earth during those periods. Just keep your, your finger in chapter 6. But turn over, over with me to chapter 12. Uh, maybe chapter 11. Let's see if I'm doing this from memory. Chapter, oh, chapter 11. And verse 16. I love this passage. The seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven. And they said, the kingdom of this world, the world of the Antichrist and the false prophet, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This great, great, incredible statement that an angel makes. And at that moment, this group that Lanny spoke about briefly in chapter 4 and chapter 5, the four and 20 elders, representative of the church in heaven, look what happens. The four and 20 elders who sat before God on their thrones. They, God was on his throne and Christ. We find out in scripture, the, the father and the son are on the same throne. And that we as believers are in the closest proximity in heaven for all eternity, closer than the four living creatures, closer than the angels. It says God is on his throne and we are, are around him on our thrones. 
in heaven. And I love what happens. 16, and the four and 20 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell upon their faces and they worshiped God. Said, we give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who art and was, because you have taken to thee great power and has reigned. We're in heaven. We're not on the earth. The rapture of the church is pre-tribulational. So it begins in chapter 6, goes to chapter 19. But look what we see at the very end of this chapter, chapter chapter 6. Verse 16 and 17. One of the reasons I don't believe that church will go through the tribulation period. Now the church and individual believers will have tribulation. It says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, you have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. He says, also all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we're gonna, we'll have tribulation, but we will not have the wrath of God, suffering during the period of time called the tribulation period. Look what it says in verse 16. From chapter six, all through the end of chapter, of, of chapter 19, we find over and over again, if I had the time, I would spend a little more time going to all these verses. We'll look at a couple of them. But it says this, the chief men, in verse 15, and great captains, great men, mighty men, Slaves and free men, they hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, saying, mountains and rocks fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. I always wonder this verse, how do, how do ordinary people, everyone on earth, they know that God sits on his throne? They know where the judgment is coming from. They know who it is. Hide, hide us from him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great and mighty day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Very, very quickly, chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. And the angel followed them and said, any man who worships the beast and his mark receives the mark on his forehead and his hand, the same shall drink of the wrath of God poured out with it without mixture and shall be tormented. Here we find, look at chapter 15 and verse seven. The four living creatures gave seven angels bowls. The wrath of God, full of the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth. Over and over again, we have this term, the wrath of God. And one of the reasons I don't believe Christians will go through the tribulation period is because when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, and when we placed our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus paid for the penalty of our sin and the consequences and the judgment and the condemnation so that we would never have to suffer the wrath of God. J. Oswald Sanders says something like this. He was a great Bible student, great Bible scholar. The Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God without mercy on the cross of Calvary, that we would enjoy the mercy of God without wrath. We won't suffer wrath over and over again. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
And it says, it says, uh, now therefore, those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. Turn with me as we close your time to First Thessalonians, back to First Thessal- back to First Thessalonians. But chapter five. It's a tremendous truth. We must never say in our lives, I'm doing, I've done this thing and this thing before I was saved. And now a certain event happens in our life. And I've heard Christians say, now the Lord is punishing me for those things I did earlier in my life. I knew a a woman who was newly saved and uh, she had, she had, two to three miscarriages, I forget the exact number, two to three. And she was unable, she eventually was unable to have children, she adopted. But I remember earlier in her Christian life, she said to me, she said, God is punishing me with these miscarriages because of what I did earlier in my life. We go through scripture and we look in various places where it says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you did previously in your life, once you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You will never suffer the wrath of God again in your life for what you have done. You may be chastened, you may be disciplined, but you will never suffer the wrath of God in your life. And one reason you won't go through the tribulation, because that's a time where God pours out his wrath on those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look with me for a moment, and then we'll close in prayer. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. speaks about those who are saved. He says, you, you, uh, you remember what manner of entering in we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. This is another uh, expression of the imminency of the Lord Jesus, to wait for his son from heaven. These who are believers waiting for the Lord to come, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come, delivered us separate us from, saved us from the wrath of God. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, verse 9. God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What a tremendous promise we have. The Lord's coming is imminent. The Lord's coming is pre-tribulational. The Lord's coming is to deliver us from the wrath and the judgment of God that will take place in this world. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your tremendous kindness. And we thank you that you treat us as saints. You see us as saints, not worthy of, not worthy of wrath. And that you have paid, you have paid the payment price 
And we will never look forward to wrath in our lives. As a father disciplines his children, yes, but will never suffer wrath for what we've done before we were saved or what we've done after we're saved. And so, Father, we thank you for these great truths. Father, grip our hearts with the truth of the rapture, truth of the Lord coming again. And so we pray these things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.